Hi folks, this is Jack Spirit with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, November the 6th, and this is episode 1014 of the Survival Podcast. And today's going to be kind of a different one. I don't think we've ever really done anything like this. I'm going to talk about hand tools and homestead gear, stuff that I think either belongs on your homestead or at least it would be nice to have. Really going to go into a few power tools and a lot of hand tools today. I've been asked by people for quite a while to put something together like this, and you know, I wanted to try to figure out how to do it without making it just a list of tools. And in some ways, though, that's what it's going to be, but I'll try to give you my thoughts on them and why I think uh, they belong It's part of your homestead. And I, I'd say most of these tools belong in your homestead, even if your homestead's in the suburbs. Uh, it, with a few exceptions. I mean, you, you only need a scythe so much, and that's going to be one of the nice-to-have ones if you have a quarter-acre lot and don't grow anything to scythe, right? So with some exceptions there. Before we get into that today, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Safe Castle Royal, who I always refer to as the original survival podcast sponsor. The reason I call them that is they were the first company that stepped up and said, Hey, Jack, we love what you're doing. We want to be part of it. We want to be officially part of what you're doing, an official sponsor. I put together the entire sponsorship program around them. That was almost three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. And they've been with us ever since. And they have no intention of ever going anywhere else. They're a great sponsor. They do a lot for the show, and they have all the things you could possibly need for your preps. Check them out today at prepared.pro, prepared.pro, easiest way to remember their website. Because we all want to be prepared, and we all want to be professional in the way that we do it, so prepared.pro. Uh, remember also, they have a really great discount membership program, $49 lifetime discount membership program. It's worth every penny of it, but if you join the Member Support Brigade, you get it for free, which basically makes your first year of Members Brigade a dollar, or if you qualify for the service discount, you actually make a profit on day one with the Members Brigade. Next up, today's survival gear bags. This is another long-time story. I was about probably six months into this show, and Ke uh, Kelly John Doe, who runs survival gear bags, looked at what I was doing and said, you know what, there's a market here, and he you know, works kind of in a merchandising capacity in his full-time job, and he put together survival gear bags all the way back then. By the time he had built it up to where he wanted to become a sponsor, I didn't have any slots available, but one, when one did come open, he was one of the first people that I uh, you know, thought of as, as giving the next available slot to. He took it. Now he's on board as a sponsor. Survival gear bags is just like what it sounds, survival gear bags. Uh, great bags for bug out bags, bug in bags, active shooter bags. You think it, you can think of it, they've got it. And really great survival and sustainability items to put in those bags, along with a great assortment of knowledge, uh, with a great assortment of books that are available as well. Please remember, they also support the Member Support Brigade. And gave, support Brigade? The Member Support Brigade. They give you 10% off of everything that you order there. And when they run their specials, your uh, discount generally applies to those as well. So check them out today, survivalgearbags.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content. Available only to members. Great discounts like the two I just uh, mentioned. And remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, Uh, and first responders, like let's say a paramedic, active duty, or prior service. 
If you email me and tell me about your service, either what you're doing or what you did if you're prior service, I'll send you a special discount code to uh, save you money on your membership if you email me before you join or sometime near your time of renewal. If you've already joined, I can't go backwards. Sorry, guys. All right. With that, I've got the housekeeping wrapped up. I do want to let you know about something really cool, though, that I did uh, get up for you guys yesterday. I mentioned it on the show, and now it's up. The Power Pot video. I did a Power Pot video uh, for you. The Power Pot is this cool little pot. When you cook on it, it's got a USB cable. Take stuff, plug it into the USB cable, and it charges it. And most any USB-enabled device. And uh, it's a really cool product. I am glad to have one as part of my preps now. It's just one more way to keep power on. Uh, including a lot with camping and going to remote areas and things like that. Um, check out the video. I will link to it from today's show notes. If you guys could, uh, when you check the video, click on one of the links. Go over to the uh, the uh, the uh, the PowerPot website. Take a deeper look at it. Buy one only if it's right for you. It's not right for everybody. But go take a look at it at their site. They gave me the product in return for driving traffic to the site. So at least go take a look at it for me. Um, that'll help me kind of build a relationship with these folks as they continue to come out with new and really cool innovative products. Because I'm waiting to see them build one that's like a big old pot you cook on the stove as a next generation product. And imagine that every time you turn the stove on, you've got free power. There's, there's something there. These guys are on the right track with it. And uh, I'd love to continue building that relationship. So check them out. It's a great product. Let me tell you, uh, I'm excited about using it. Anytime that I'm cooking outside and there's enough capacity in that pot, hey, why not get free power while you're at it? And the fact that I can be sitting by a lake fishing, uh, cooking on a campfire, and uh, charging my devices is really cool as well. Again, the device is called the Power Pot, and uh, check out the video. A lot of you guys have been asking me about another product called the BioLite Stove. I also have one of those. The Power Pot people sent me my product first, so I figured they deserve to go first. Uh, probably next week we'll come out with a video on the BioLite stove. I like it as well. I thought I would consider it to be far more practical for a variety of reasons than the PowerPot. The PowerPot's throwing out 5 watts of power, and it starts throwing power almost immediately. And in some ways, I think it's a better product. The two of them together, yeah, that's where it's going. But I think since both manufacturers gave me a product, they both get a standalone video first. All right, so wanted to put that out there, kind of an additional piece of information. Now let's get into today's show. Um, I'm not really going to talk about things from a winter perspective today, but I do want to kind of point out that the fact that we're heading into winter is part of why I decided it's time to do this show. Um, Winter is the time where we get an opportunity to do a lot of maintenance, repair, and projects. And there's four big reasons I, I think that that happens. The first one, I'm not sure why, but in, in wintertime is when things seem to like to just go, you know what, I feel like breaking and taking a rest too. You know, like everybody kind of kicks back a little bit in the winter, takes a break, the harvesting is done, all of the you know, big activities are done, the holidays end with Christmas, and you move into the real dead center of winter, and you're like, oh, and you know, it gets old after a while, but at first it's just kind of like a big, oh, that's all over with, and I got some time to rest now, and it seems like maybe a lot of your stuff's like, yeah, you know what, I'll go for a rest too, you're not resting, you're going to be fixing me, because I'm going to pick now to break, just seems that way. The next thing is, 
you know, we have so much to do in the spring and the summer and the fall. There's so much work to do. There's so much activity. As summer goes to, to fall, those of you with kids have the kids going back to school. Spring going to summer, you got them coming out of school. you got all your homestead stuff. The garden needs constant maintenance. In the fall, we're storing stuff, putting it away. It just seems like, like you get this break in winter. And then you actually have time to do a lot of the stuff that you're like, I, I, need to, I need to take care of this. Yeah, I need to take all the shovels and clean them off, and I need to, uh, uh, you know, kind of wipe down the handles with linseed oil, etc. I just don't have time right now, right? So we get time to do stuff like that. Um, next up after that is, you know, there's a lot of stuff that maybe you have the time to do, but you just don't want to do when it's 100 degrees out. So in winter, we can either have those really nice, every, even up north. I remember even when I lived in Pennsylvania, sometimes you'd get kind of like what you call an Indian summer day or something. It's like 50 degrees and the sun's out. As long as you stay out of the shade, you can wear a T-shirt, it feels good. That's a great time to be changing the spark plugs in a car, setting the gap, putting new wires on, something like that. Any kind of work like that is, is good to do outside on a day like that. It sure the hell beats the, the heck out of when you're in there trying to get that one plug that's on the back side and you can't get to it and you trying to figure out how to get onto it, and the sweat is just in your freaking eyes, burning your eyes. You're like, why am I doing this now, right? So in the winter, we avoid that. Or if it's cold, and you have a shop building or a garage or something like that with a wood stove or a kerosene heater or something, it's just something like it's cold, but it's warm at the same time. It's just a, 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 an enjoyable time to do work. And the last reason is, well, you know, you may be, you know, on December 26th, or for a lot of us that have the Christmas light bug and we like to put up the lights and the decorations, well, it's like January 1st, New Year's Day, when you put all that stuff back away, you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's great, man, I can rest now. But like two weeks into it, you know, if you're a hunter or something like that, like hunting seasons are over and maybe there's a little bit of second season or some predator hunting you can do, but it's not that much. It's not that much productive. It's cold. The days are long. You get bored. The kids come home from school. I'm bored. You know how it all is. And you start to get cabin fever. Well, having this stuff to do during this time of year kind of keeps you going, man. It keeps you happy and motivated and ready to kind of like hit things full bore in spring. So that like things like starting our seeds in February actually happens because we haven't just kind of got into the winter doldrums. So there's a lot of reason that this stuff makes sense to talk about now. But we're just going to talk about it in general and the tools that I think belong on every homestead. I'm not saying if you don't have these things, you're wrong. And I'll leave things out, I promise you. If I went through a whole list of everything I just owned, the show would go like four hours or something like that. It's probably going to be longer than I planned on anyway for a tool list show. So there's going to be some stuff left out. While I've been talking to you, I've been pausing the microphone going, oh yeah, add that, oh yeah, add that, uh, as I've gone. But I, I want to try to give you guys like a good overview. And I think if you have most of the stuff that I'm talking about here today, and the knowledge of what to do with it, you can deal with most things that you'll probably be able to fix for yourself. And if you need anything much more advanced than most of these tools, and you have the knowledge to go with things that are much more advanced than this, then you know you need those tools. I don't need to tell you you need those tools. And many of you that are of that advanced level, you know, like if you, if you know how to use a metal lathe, you probably either have access to one or own one. But it's not something the average person needs to have because the average person's not that skilled with metalworking, if that makes sense. Now, let's start out with, and I'm going to kind of start out with kind of some bigger uh, tools and power style tools 
to start out with because I think there's some things that we overlook a lot of times as we worry about, well, what if there's no grid and what if there's this? Well, a lot of times there is. Like every day that I've ever woken up, there's been some potential to have electricity or gasoline. So I think that we should you know, use those tools while they're available to their fullest extent because the first one's a chainsaw. And let me tell you what. One gallon of gasoline and oil to mix in with it and a chainsaw does the amount of work that if you try to do it with hand saws or hand tools or hatchets or axes, it, it, it's unfathomable how much work a chainsaw saves. To me, it's one of the most versatile do-it-all tools that we have. Um, you know, all it takes is one tree down in your driveway in a storm to understand the value of a chainsaw. All it takes is, you know, if you have a few acres with some woodlands on it and you have some trees out there that are dead or dying that you can selectively harvest and do that sustainably, one year of cutting your own firewood uh, to, to pay for a chainsaw, easy, easy, even a really good chainsaw. Um, chainsaws, there's a lot of debates on what's good, what's bad, what's better, what's best. My view is the two best chainsaws as far as long duration, lasting a long time, Uh, really highly reliable are Husqvarna and steel, with steel being a little bit better. Uh, even with that debate, though, I talked to a guy who, who cuts trees for a living at the last permaculture course I went to, and I said, you know, do you have a debate, you know, an opinion between the two of them? He says, they're both great saws. You know, they're both great saws. And he's like, I, you know, I, I he, this guy owns like eight chainsaws and ends up having to replace a couple every year just due to the volume of work and the type of work he does. Um, this is a guy that works out west and you know does you know huge huge cutting jobs and things like that. And he said I would never even bother to get into a debate over that. The, the the steel might be a little bit better and it costs a little bit more, but for the average person, you take care of either one of them, they'll last you a very very long time. Um, and you know that's why I also look at things like lower end chainsaws and go not necessarily you know write them off. Um, let's say I had a tree in my swimming pool <laughs> and it was too big to just drag out. And I needed to cut it up and pull it out a little at a time and deal with the situation or get it off my car or something like that. And my choice was having a handsaw or a cheap $120 16-inch pull-in chainsaw from Walmart. I'll take the pull-in all day long. I'm just saying if you're investing in a chainsaw for your homestead, stepping up to a better quality tool is probably a good idea. But they, they both work. The thing about chainsaws is there's probably nothing I'm going to talk about today easier to seriously hurt yourself with than a chainsaw. In fact, I would say that it is far and away the object out of everything else I'll talk about today that causes the most in quantity number of wounds uh, of a serious nature, things that require medical attention. And what I've seen chainsaws do to people that do stupid things like end up you know, hitting their finger off of a blade while it's, while it's running, even when the, the throttles let go and the chain's just free spinning, um, is, it's, it's horrible. The cutting they do is so jagged and destructive and bone-chipping that even cutting yourself fairly deeply with a knife or a sickle or something like that generally doesn't cause the level of trauma. So you have to be serious about a chainsaw. And I think the only responsible thing to do with a chainsaw is get some training from someone that has real experience with them and understanding things. And I can't go, because I do a whole show on chainsaws, right? So, But things like kickback and safety things and like when you're dropping a tree. 
You know, a lot of people, they're going to cut a tree down. The tree's leaning a little bit in the direction they want it to go anyway, and they've watched TV, and they've read the little book, and they know cut a notch in one side, cut straight on the other, and it'll fall that way. Yeah, guess what? It doesn't always work that way. Uh, saws get bound into trees. Trees fall in directions they don't look like they're going to fall. And especially when you're cutting in woodland, where, you know, you've got other trees, brambles, bushes, things around you, what you need to do is this. This is like the only thing I'll get specific on chainsaw safety today with, is you look at, okay, I want the tree to fall directly away from me. So I want two avenues of escape that are at an angle in both directions opposite of the way they fall. So if you think about kind of the way a peace sign is, a peace sign is shaped, Okay, so your two, your two pieces of the peace sign, those are kind of your avenues of egress, right, your, the way you want to get out. So what you need to do before you cut a, a, a speck of that tree is, is there a clear path in both directions? And if there isn't, you need to make one. That might mean moving stuff out of the way. That might be cutting small trees down. That might be cutting uh, limbs off of other trees that are in your way. So that whichever direction that tree falls, you have a direction that is significantly in the... It can fall any way, including straight back at you. And if those two avenues are open, you have an escape route. And if you don't know to do that in advance, you can end up with, here comes the tree, and all of a sudden, you have no way out. Uh, and I just dropped a dead tree on my property. I like to cut dead trees. They're Split them up, and they're ready to burn. Um... But it was deader than I thought in the base. There were three trees on the back side of it wrapped into it with um, with uh, muscadine vi grain, uh, grain vi grape vines. And when I cut those three trees, they were basically hanging in it. And when I tried to pull one out, the, the dead part at the base of the tree, even though most of the tree was solid, the base was so dead, the tree fell. If I hadn't made ways to get the hell out of the way, uh, I would have been in a real world of hurt. That was a, it was a big, big white oak. Uh, that could have taken me out. So you have to have those plans of escape. I'm going to leave chainsaws there. I'm just going to say that I think that they really have a place on every homestead, but they have to come with safety mindset and learning how to do certain things, learning how to maintain them, change your chain, sharpen your chain. If you're not going to sharpen your chain, get four or five chains. Use them when they start to get even a little bit dull. Swap them out. That's easy to learn how to do. And when you get you know three of your four chains somewhat dull, take them to someone to get them sharpened. I mean, that's, that's probably the best way to do that. Um, I want to say a little bit on electric chainsaws. Uh, if you wanted to use electric chainsaws to start dropping a bunch of trees, I'd say you're going to burn it up, burn it out, and it's really not worth doing. Uh, trimming, pruning, and cutting up smaller-sized uh, wood. So if you're dropping stuff that's you know a regular man-sized hands, if you could touch your fingers around it, or maybe you have about an inch or two on both sides of it up to about that size, A 14-inch electric chainsaw will do a great job with that. They weigh less. They weigh a lot less. They're easier to operate. And uh, there's some pretty decent cordless ones out there that, that do that type of thing. If you're trying to fell trees with them, I, I wouldn't bother. I'd get yourself a good chainsaw. If you need a, you're, you know, you want a smaller, lighter saw than a big, heavy saw, then I'd you know, get yourself a gas saw in that small range to work with smaller trees that you're felling. Um, falling one or two trees... You know, with an electric saw that's big enough to handle a job, that, that's fine. That's fine. But what they really excel at for me and what I use one for is, like, we go out to the compost facility and there's all this wood cut up. And a lot of it's four, six-inch pieces of wood. And it's fresh cut. And you bring it home and you hang it off the back of the tailgate of the truck and zip, 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 zip onto a pile to season once the season's a bit split it. And 
man, for that, so much better than you know burning gas, all the noise, all the exhaust, and they're they're fine for that type of application. They've got immediate torque. Here's the thing. Um, most of them that I've seen don't have uh, a, a chain lock the way that, uh, or, or I wouldn't say they don't have a chain lock, but they seem to keep running a bit more. You got to be really careful that you're locking your chain, depending on the model or what have have you in between, which is good safety procedures anyway. But for some reason, I don't know how to put this, but for some reason, I've seen more people hurt themselves with electric chainsaws than gas ones. I don't know if it's because people that are inexperienced think they're safer. I don't know what it is, but I've just seen more people get hurt specifically doing something with a free hand and coming across the top of the bar of the chainsaw while, while they've let off of the, the lever, but the chain's still running. And my father-in-law did that and almost lost two fingers. And it was a horrible wound. And I don't want it to happen to anybody. So I'm just saying, don't think because it's a little electric saw, it's any safer than a great big steel, because it's not. All right, The steel might be doing more work, but both of them will hurt you really bad. Okay, moving on. Um, I'm going to go into a list of power tools that I think are a really good idea to have. And I'm going to tell you first that I think the three best ones to start out with are a drill, a reciprocating saw, and a circular saw. The other ones that I have are a cutoff tool, which is kind of like a side grinder that you can use a blade or a grinding tool on, that you can use like a jab saw and cut into things. You can use it a grinder and grind things off. A tool like that, I think most of you understand what I'm saying. If you don't, Go to Home Depot or Lowe's or one of those stores like that. Go to the Power Tools section and look around, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And you'll go, oh, that's that's what he means. Um, an impact driver, a jigsaw, uh, and then a bench grinder I'll put into the Power Tools uh, uh, world as well, even though with the, a, a cutoff tool you can do a lot of grinding work, but not the kind of precision grinding you can do with a bench tool. Um, let's start out with the drill, the reciprocating, and the circular saw. Um, I think that there's a huge... Uh, case to be made for rechargeable cordless tools in at least those three. I also have a cordless cutoff tool, jigsaw, and impact driver. All right, and I, I would I would say that you should have all of them if you if the budget allows for it. Um, I also own plug-in versions of each. Why? Two is one, and one is none. Right? That's 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 first of all. Two is one, and one is none. And then there's certain, you know, advantages to plug and and as long as there's power coming out of that outlet, whether it's a generator, battery backup, or a wall socket that's working for you because the grid ain't down, hey, that's, you know, always on, always works, but the cord can get in the way. Um, whereas it's also really nice to be able to take, you know, a sawzall with you into the deer woods when you're setting up a tree stand and you've got a couple branches that are in the way and it saves a lot of time and energy removing those branches than being there with some kind of pruning saw or something like that. Um, so I, I think they both have advantages and I probably use my cordless tools far more than my corded ones just due to convenience. And But again, I think it makes sense to have both. The fact that we can set up backup power systems and easily charge the battery packs for our cordless tools and use one battery frame for all the tools. So even we might have five or six batteries, it's the same battery pack for each tool, I think is a good idea. And I think that's going to have a lot to do with choosing your brand of tools. And what I mean by that is if you already own a really good cordless drill, it's going to be a lot harder for you to switch brands you know, emotionally uh, and logically as well because I've already got one battery. 
that if I buy the circular saw that uses that battery, I've already got a battery compatibility thing. And if that saw comes with a battery, now I've got two batteries, and I've upped my battery. So there's something there. But there's some cost advantages with some of the premium brands where, you know, if you've only owned one yet, you may want to really evaluate switching to some other ones. Um, I personally think that the highest quality cordless tools you can get your hands on are DeWalt. Um, but I don't know that they're that much of a quality difference that you won't maybe do better by using something like Bosch, which will save you some money. Uh, Makita probably won't save you any money at all, but it's probably just as good. Uh, Milwaukee definitely will save you some money. Uh, it'll, it'll save you money on the tools. The batteries will cost you about the same as a DeWalt comparable. But Bosch is a significant savings if you look across the board and a fairly decent savings sometime on batteries. Uh, and they're all good. Those are like my top four brands. Now, if we move away from super high quality with the cordless, we can get into some stuff that's pretty decent uh, and, and cheap. I mean, you know, uh, Black and Decker uh, would be one example of something like that. Skill. Um, those are two brands that are, there's nowhere near the level of quality and longevity, uh, that you'll get out of a DeWalt or, or a Bosch. It, you just, it's just not there. But for the person that doesn't use it every day or every week, uh, it'll probably last plenty long. And with some of the, the, the options like that, like a Skill or a Black and Decker, you could buy two for less than the cost of one. And if it did fail, you got another one, and you've still spent less money. The batteries also tend to cost a lot less as well, but that's a lot of times where they fall down. I would be really careful moving into like the brands you've never heard of, uh, the stuff where you can go buy an 18-inch or an 18-volt uh, cordless drill uh, for you know a whopping 15.95 or something like that. Um, again, though, I'd rather have it and have not top quality than not have it at all. So it's all within your budget. My loyalty to DeWalt is not because I think DeWalt is the greatest in the world. I do think they're probably the best, but again, only by a slight edge. Not enough to maybe justify the premium in some cases. But when I was doing cable TV, underground work, all that kind of stuff back in the, uh, the mid-90s, um, one of the things I had to do was splice big heavy-duty cables together, like the time your cable TV comes over, 500, 750 coax. That probably means nothing to a lot of you guys, but big heavy-duty cables, like the ones you plug into the back of your TV, but instead of being flexible, it's hard metal aluminum shielding. And to do splicing on that, you have to do a lot of work with a drill and a special tool. And when I had to do that work, I went out and got an 18-volt cordless DeWalt drill. I have carried and used that drill and beat the shit out of it, honest to God, since 1994. I still have it. It still works. And funny enough, even though I've had some of the modern battery packs kind of go out on me, um, the original battery that came with it still works, still holds a charge. Unbelievable. Uh, the fact that I've replaced several of the other replacement batteries kind of bugs me that maybe their quality of batteries has slipped over the years. I know there's a way to take them apart and rebuild them. I, I can't go into that today, and I really haven't taught myself how to do it yet. But my understanding is you can cut your cost by about half by rebuilding your own battery packs. Somebody wants to comment on where to learn more about today, that would be great. But those are the tools I think that we really need, and, and those are my, you know, my justification for buying the best you can get is that 
uh, it, it usually pays for itself in the long run. It's like extension cords and hoses. You know, there's you can buy cheap there, but they always end up having to be replaced over and over again. Um, impact drivers, I think, are a great tool to have, but they're not a must-have, but they're really nice. Things like changing tires and stuff like that, they give you a lot of flexibility, driving bolts and things. Jigsaws, I almost put that, if you do a lot of woodwork into the absolutely have-to-have thing uh, for cutting curves and things like that, especially in plywood and what have you. A grinder, it's so much flexibility, sharpening tools, sharpening chisels. Um, shaping, working things. A grinder, uh, any, if you have a shop, there should be a grinder in it. Uh, maybe a grinder wheel on one side of it and a polishing wheel on the other. There's a lot of, lot of, uh, utility there. Uh, moving on to some other large items that I think really belong there, uh, or, you know, let's say just, uh, things that are not from the general carpentry hand tool mechanic thing. Um, a good axe and a good hatchet. I think you want to have a, a good axe and hatchet, not just a good axe. Hatchets, when it comes to cutting up kindling and things like that, they just are easier to work with. They take less effort to use. They're more appropriate. If you're going to have a chainsaw and you're going to be dropping trees, sooner or later you will bind up a saw uh, and you will need to do some hacking to get it out most likely. Uh, I didn't mention it, but with the saws, if you're going to be dropping trees, you should have some, some wedges as well. To, to, to help drop your trees, and you want plastic wedges uh, for doing that, so that if you ever have to cut one out, because sooner or later you'll get one of those stuck too. Uh, if you do happen to hit one by accident, you're not hitting steel on steel. Okay. Um, I also have added to this part of the list, I think it really makes a good idea to own a good hand sickle or a sick it, or what I've actually come to really like using is called a corn knife. Uh, and the corn knife looks like a pretty good size heavy duty sickle. I got mine for like 14 bucks from Tractor Supply. And, uh, it's got a good heavy beefy handle on it. And if you go into Tractor Supply and look for a corn knife, they'll usually have two kinds. One will kind of look like a modified machete. And the other one will more look more like a sickle or for you martial arts guys, a comma. Um, that's the one. And that has had so much utility with cutting, uh, grass and things like that. One thing I'd like to find, though, is a good serrated sickle for cutting grasses so that you're kind of pulling it as you're pulling it through instead of just slicing through it. Um, there's a lot of utility to those tools as well. I haven't found a good one yet. But for a good just straight-edge slicing tool, I've bought some expensive ones. I've bought some cheap ones. I've bought some Japanese-made ones. I've bought one handmade in Malaysia. $14 corn knife from Tractor Supply and a sharpening stone to keep it sharp. Great tool. Um, and it just does so much when it comes to cleaning things up around the garden weeds. I don't pull weeds in between the garden beds. I cut them to the ground, and if there's a seed head on them, I, I, you know, I cut it off into the wheelbarrow so we can throw it in a uh, compost heap so it gets cooked out, and I take the body of the weeds and I throw it in the bed, and it's mulch. And it's, it's mined minerals directly from the soil. So why would I pull it out of the ground, disturb the soil, and allow more different types of weeds to grow. If I just keep cutting it, sooner or later that weed will success into a new weed, and sooner or later I'll get that ground producing what I want. So uh, corn knife's good for that. I'm going to throw this in here just because if I don't, people will be like, I don't believe you didn't put it in. Shovels, hoes, pitchforks, all, all that stuff, right? All that stuff obviously has to be part of it. I just didn't want to leave it off the list. Now I want to get more into like the hand tools, though, because this is what I get the most requests for. Um, the hand tools everyone should have to do. Basic repairs, basic carpentry, basic mechanical repairs. If I'm putting together kind of a tool chest 
or a tool board in my shop or whatever. What are the things that absolutely got to be there if I want to be able to handle just about anything that comes my way, at least that the average person without specialized training is going to be capable of at least figuring out how to do? Uh, number one, a hammer. Uh, and I think at minimum with a hammer, and I probably could have put one of these up into the other list of the bigger items, uh, but it would split the hammer, so I didn't want to. Um, a sledgehammer, a good old-fashioned heavy-duty sledgehammer, um, a mini sledge, so something you know um, that you can use one-handed, uh, probably something weight-wise, you know, like a three-pound mini sledge. It's pretty typical. Uh, there's just a lot of things that you need to beat or move or maneuver where a full-size sledgehammer is overkill and a standard carpenter-style hammer is... Uh, is not really going to get the job done. It doesn't have enough authority. And a good claw hammer. A claw hammer is your typical carpenter's hammer. Claw on one side, hammer head on the other for driving and pulling nails. Um, adding to that, um, I have a, a, a peening hammer. Uh, I also have uh, what's called a dead blow hammer, uh, which is a hammer that's basically uh, plastic-faced and full of shot. And I have a soft-faced hammer that has different... Uh, facings that can go on it to, to tap and move things where you don't want to damage them. Those are good to have as well, but if you have a sledge, a mini sledge and a claw, and you need to drive something into place that you know you don't want to damage the, the face of it, if it's something metallic where if I hit it, I might damage it, and I might want you know one of my other options there, I could probably take a piece of wood and put it in between it and get by. right? And if I need to pin something... If I actually need a ball-peen hammer to peen metal, I probably know that I need one. And I know exactly why I need one. And so it's not on the must-have list because the guy that knows he needs one is probably going to have one. Um, a good socket set, and I mean, with that, you got to have a socket set that does metrics and standard measurements. There's some new stuff out now. Uh, Cobalt has out that they say you buy one set, and it will do standards and metrics because of the way and it'll do all the different bolt head shapes. I think it sounds like a great idea. If I'm in the market for another socket set, I'm certainly going to look at it. I'm sure other people will start doing it as well. Um, but I have a good, old-fashioned snap-on set of, uh, of sockets and drivers and, and what have you. And you know that's one of the better brands of tools. I have no problem with brands like Craftsman when it comes to a socket set. Um, unless you know When you're looking at doing impact driving and stuff like that, um, you, you need sockets and stuff to go with them and can handle the impact. If you crack a socket uh, from Craftsman or something like that, not only will Sears replace it, you've probably exceeded the torque anyway. About the only time I've ever seen it happen legitimately is when something's you know bound up or whatever, you're trying to get it off. And you're trying to get it off, then you know that type of thing could happen. But if you've tightened something to break a Craftsman socket, um, you've, you've probably damaged something else too. I'll leave it to you at that. But a good socket set... A good screwdriver set. Now, you know all the screwdrivers have all the little tips and drivers and stuff, magnetic, and they go on, and you can change them in anything? Yeah, great. Have one of those. Put it in your drawer. Use it for random tasks. But in your tool set, have a full set of Phillips and standard screwdrivers of various lengths, etc. Um, there's certain things that just having that straight uh, shaft with don't look bulges or anything in it, and you need to work on it. And a, a set of mini screwdrivers is a really good idea as well. And being able to get, you know, a number two Phillips to go into the head of a screw that's a number two Phillips 
is is a great idea, and having a, a dedicated set of screwdrivers, I think, is right up there with anything else that you would need. Now, that said, getting a great big set of driver tips, you know, that have hexes and square tips and torques and star bits and all that crap, yeah, get one, and I'll tell you why. Sooner or later, you're going to need to take something off of something, and you're going to undo some screw or whatever, And you're going to get whatever you're trying to get off. And you think you have everything you need. And there's going to be another freaking layer of something that needs to come off in there. And you're going to look at it. And you're going to try to figure out what screwdriver goes in there. And it's going to be a star, a tiny star bit. Or a big old square bit or something like that. And you're going to be like, why the hell did they do this? It's almost like they do it to annoy you. I'm sure engineers and designers that put the stuff together and spec it out have a reason. But you need to have a full set of driver tips, hex keys, and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of left out when I talked about the power tools, but a really good set of drill bits, uh, and multiple drill bits. And remember that if you, uh, are drilling, uh, enough stuff, especially your smaller, finer drill bits, you're, you're going to break some of them. And when they break, they don't work anymore. And when they don't work anymore, if you don't have another one, you're screwed. This is another two is one, one is none. When it comes to drill bits, especially your smaller, uh, diameter drill bits, Uh, it's not two is one is one is none. It's more like, you know, five is one and one is, and four is none. Um, it's just something that if you need it, uh, it's, it, it's more than nice to have. It means you really need it. And drill bits are where one way you can save money with drill bits is to buy a really good set of drill bits in all the standard sizes. And if things break, replace them. And then buy cheap drill bits as your backup. So you can get a great big box. You know, 10 of each size or something like that. A sportsman's Guide usually has a pretty good deal there. I wouldn't want those to be, you know, my primary drill bits, but as a huge backup source of all the different sizes, and then I can replace, you know, my higher quality stuff. Uh, I think that they're a good idea as well. A good set of wrenches. Adjustable wrenches, uh, you know, everything like that, fine. Good old set of combination wrenches in metric and standard, though. So you've got your, your circle, you know, your combination circle on the back side that slips over the nut, and then your open face wrench on the other side. Uh, you know, a, a good set from, from I, you know, I guess they're, they're, they're pretty standard, but, you know, up to at least three-quarter inch and, and down as small as you can find. And, and buying the, you know, a lot of times your, your sets, uh, you know, will probably stop at like five-eighths. Going out and getting your, your next size up all the way up to one inch, probably not a bad idea. You know, I have stuff up to uh, inch and a half to deal with the, uh, the, 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 the nut on the hitch balls of my truck. Um, and those, those bigger wrenches are expensive, but if you need one, again, you need one. You can mitigate that somewhat with things like a pipe wrench, which is also on my list. But there's a, you know, there's a reason they make tools. There's a reason they say the right tool for the right job. Um, a set of channel locks, and I think when I say channel locks, I'm talking about locking pliers. These are the ones that have a little screw on the back side that allow you to adjust the jaws. And when you adjust the jaws to where you want, you can lock them down onto something and they'll hold fast for you. Uh, they have a lot of utility that I don't think people realize. Here's an example. I just did a brake job on our Dodge truck. When you take the brakes off, the brake caliper off and the brake pads out, the rotor really it moves on the lug nuts, okay? When you're trying to put it back on, you want the rotor flat up again. And the rotor's the part that spins around that the brakes grab, 
right? So you want that rotor held flat up against the back, uh, up against the axle. It makes it a lot easier when you're fumbling with the brake caliper, which is the part that squeezes the pads onto the rotor back in. Just get it, you know, it would be nice to have a second set of hands to hold that rotor for you. If you're alone, like I was, you take the rotor and you push it back. You get a small set of uh, uh, vice grip pliers, just a little set. And then you take it and you, you clamp it on to the lug, where your, your lug nut goes, right up against her, and it holds it for you. And there's a million things like that where these things act like a clamp, but they get into places where a clamp can't go. And it's not on my list, but a good set of clamps is a good idea as well. Um, well, actually, I have C-clamp on the list, but I'm thinking more of your more typical uh, wood clamps and things like that would be a great thing to add to this list. Uh, but those vice grips, anything from sometimes you need to turn something, you, it's a nut is stripped or something, and you can't get onto it with a, with a wrench of any kind that will actually grab it. A lot of times locking down onto it with a pair of vice grips, you'll be able to hold it and turn the other side or go ahead and break it loose. Uh, and, and sometimes there's really not much else that'll do that for you. Uh, I would also say that another good item to make sure you have are chisels. And understand with chisels, uh, there's a billion different little variances and nuances of chisels and carving and wood cutting. And, uh, but the big difference is you've got metal chisels and wood chisels, right? And you don't want to use a wood chisel on metal. This is a really bad thing. They're not made for that. So having a good set of wood and metal chisels is a great idea. Um, a lot of times you'll hear a person say that uh, a, a metal chisel, a chisel for use on metal, is a cold chisel. It's not exactly true. A cold chisel is designed to use on any metal that's cold. A hot chisel is, is a chisel that a blacksmith would use to cut metal or notch metal or do something with metal that's hot. So the metal that you're using it on is is hot. So it's designed for that use. But for, for our aspects, basically, yeah, that's what you're looking for is a good set of uh, cold chisels for use on metal in the home shop. If you're a blacksmith and you need a hot chisel, well, then you know that, right? Um, the next thing is wire brushes. There's so many things that get dirty, rusty, messed up, gnarly, nasty, that a wire brush is the best thing to clean it up with battery terminals. Tools themselves to get rusty. Biggest thing to knock the rust off with them, it knock the crud off them with is a wire brush. That uh, pretty much you know how it works goes without saying. Uh, planing tools. If you're going to be doing any kind of woodworking, you know, uh, planing tools like you know a, a jack plane, um, a joiner plane, a smoothing plane, scrub plane, and I, I know the, if you don't know woodworking, these things don't uh, make a lot of sense. You know, like a spoke shave or what have you. But basically, a plane is a tool that removes thin layers of wood. And they have different purposes based on what you're trying to, uh, to actually move or uh, what kind of wood you're trying to, to remove or how much wood you're trying to take or how big of a piece uh, that you're working on. And uh, so if we look at something like a smoothing plane, this very fine plane that's designed to do the last little bit of work, uh, where something like... It, a jack plane is more for roughing things out. And, and if you need a bigger explanation than that with planing, then, you know, a good thing is get some scrap wood, you know, and find somebody that owns some stuff like this and go just, 
you just plane it off. You throw it in a vice. There's another one, a vice. If you're in your shop, you should probably have a vice, um, which wasn't on the original list. Throw it in a vice and, and, and just learn what it does. Learn to feel it. You know, get some experience with people uh, that, that know how to use them. But a, a good woodworker is going to have a plane. Uh, it, it's just kind of necessary as you're fitting small pieces of wood together and doing any kind of work like that uh, to really do the kind of job that you, you generally want to get done. Uh, next up, I would say tape measure and ruler, yardstick, all of that stuff, but measuring tools. Uh, that pretty much goes without saying, but you, you, you gotta have it. And I think the most flexible tool, no pun intended with that, but for doing a variety of measuring jobs and making rough estimates and everything is a good tape. Uh, a good tape measure is, is probably one of the, the most important things you have. I own like 12 of them because I'm, I always can't find one when I need one. So I have like one in the door of all my trucks. That way if I'm at a store and I'm wondering, will something fit? And no one there has, you know, it's like about a, you know, if you're at a hardware store, you can find a tape in there to use, right? Put it back. But if you're at a furniture store and you're, you know, this, you know, fit or whatever, and there's no dimensions on it, you can measure it or what have you, or something around the house. Uh, so I always want to have a tape measure available to make estimates and things like that with. But there's definitely times where you want that yardstick with that long straight edge to do certain marking things and planning cuts and stuff like that. Uh, next, that brings us right up to a level. Uh, I have multiple levels, little small spirit levels, you know, a couple inches, maybe six, eight inches long, something like a little hand level. I have a line level, which is a little plastic level that when you hang a string across two points, you can put the level on the string and let it hang and determine whether your level or not across a grade where a, a, a spirit level won't fit. Uh, and I'll have a great big, you know, normal size carpenter's level. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Again, we're talking about the tools today, not so much what to do with them, but that's something that I think really belongs uh, in in your kit, in your shop, in your homestead. Uh, a square, a good square, and you know, you can you, there's there's you know, framing squares, combination squares. There's various types of squares, but basically the 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 whole and the whole point is to be able to measure material and determine if it's square. And once I have a square piece of material and a square edge, then I can use that square to also create a perfectly square line off of the one known square edge. I'm getting into some woodworking terminology. This is part of why I kind of hesitated to do this show, because each one of these components are things that you kind of have to learn uh, with some basic woodworking skills. But a square is a very valuable tool if you're trying to build anything that where you have to fit material together and you need good square joints. It's pretty much the only way to do it unless you're a master carpenter and can do it by eye. And I think most of those guys probably use a square anyway. Um, moving on, I talked about all kinds of saws today. Chainsaws, sawzalls, you know, uh, circular saws, you name it. Uh, I still think we need hand saws. And specifically when it comes to carpentry work, we need what's called a cross cut and a rip saw. And you can tell by looking at the teeth and you know probably wherever you go to buy your tools, you'll see it labeled one or the other. A cross saw or a cross cut saw is exactly what it sounds like. It's for cutting across the grain of wood. That's a cut, right? In carpentry, you're not cutting when you go with the grain. You're doing what's called ripping. And We'll leave it at that. But there's different blades for doing the job because of a different way the saw cuts specifically what's called the kerf when you're doing the cut. The kerf is when I'm cutting with a saw, I'm not cutting a gap in the wood 
that's the same thickness of the blade. If I was, I'd have a lot of problem with the saw binding in the wood because it would be a tight fit. What I'm actually doing is cutting a, a gap in the wood slightly larger than the blade. The teeth are offset, so the teeth are a little bit wider than the main part of the blade. Since the teeth are doing the cutting, they plow their own way through the wood. That's the curve, and it's why we always cut when we draw a line on a piece of wood, we cut to the waist side of the line. Because if we cut directly on the line, we're going to end up with the wood being a little bit shorter due to the curve. And a cross cut and a, a rip saw, among other reasons that they're used that way with the design and shape of the teeth, cut the curve a little bit differently to deal with the fact that I'm either going through grain or along with grain. So I need a rip saw and a cross cut saw to be able to cut wood in either direction by hand. And that is an extremely important set of tools. I think most people day to day will find themselves more in need of a cross cut saw. But if you need to rip wood by hand because your circular saw doesn't work or whatever reason and you try to do it with a cross cut saw, you're not going to be real happy with the results. And if you try to cut a cross grain with a rip saw, you're really not going to be happy with the results. And once you've seen the teeth of both, you'll never question it again. You go to, if you're not even going to buy this stuff yet, the next time you're in a hardware store, go over to where the hand saws are, find a, a cross cut saw and a rip saw, hold them up next to each other, look at the teeth, and everything I've said will make perfect sense to you. You'll, if you think about it, you'll even be able to understand why one works for one use and one works better for the other. But that's something maybe a lot of you guys that aren't familiar with woodworking uh, learn today. When we're cutting wood long ways with the grain, we're ripping. And when we're coming across the grain, we're cutting. And that, a lot of times, when you're listening to people talk carpentry or something like that, will help things make more sense to you. Uh, hacksaw. Hacksaws are for cutting just about anything that ain't wood. Primarily metal, but plastic, rubber, things like that. Hacksaws are absolutely one of the most important tools you could ever possibly own. Make sure you have a hacksaw and lots of extra blades to go with it. Uh, they're just so versatile. I mentioned clamps earlier, but C-clamps, carpentry clamps, etc. Very, very important tools. I just mentioned the brakes I did. When you change brakes on a disc brake system, which most modern vehicles are four-wheel disc brakes now, they're easy to do, but one of the things we have to do is we have to push the caliper back. Right? So we have to push the, the part that comes out and pushes the brakes together. When the brakes have worn down to a certain point where they need to be replaced, that caliper, when, you, we, when we push it, will come out a little bit, and then pressure from the, the rotor itself kind of makes it come back a little bit, but it only comes back a little bit. And those brakes are basically just barely touching the rotor while you're driving down the road. Uh, and it won't go but you can't just take it off and take your thumbs and shove it in there it ain't going to happen some brake calipers you can get a big set of like channel lock pliers across them and and use those to push it back and i've seen a lot of guys do that and it works but there's nothing better in most situations than just taking a c clamp turning the old brake pad around putting it in there and using it to hold it against the caliper put the back side of the c clamp against the back side of the caliper turn the c clamp it shoves it right back in make sure you take the lid off the master cylinder in your vehicle if you're doing that uh if you need to be told these things you probably aren't ready to do them yet without at least a manual or somebody helping you but that's just an example of where a c clamp is used for something that we normally wouldn't think of for pushing something back to act basically as a handheld press And there's many things we might want to hold. And C-clamps, such a versatile tool. Um, I remember one time uh, I had this pickup truck. And I was going to move some stuff for a guy, and it was going to pour rain. And we didn't have a tarp. 
And this guy had an old camper shell in the back of his yard for an eight-foot pickup truck. And I had this old beat-up eight-foot pickup truck. We took four C-clamps, relatively small ones, threw the camper top on the truck, took the four C-clamps, used them to hold the camper top down. Put all the stuff. I made three trips that day, and it was from one garage to another, so I could back the truck up to the garage, keep everything dry. And when I was done, took the four clamps off, gave the guy his old camper shell back, he threw it in the backyard, don't know what he ever did with it. But that's just another example of, you know, you don't really know what something can do for you until you need it. So that avoided, I wasn't going to sit there and drill the truck rails of my truck or anything like that, even though it was an old truck. He wasn't going to let me keep the camper shell. And frankly, it was green and my truck was red. I didn't really want it, but it worked for that. So there's, again, certain, some of these tools are like, You know, kind of things that can be improvised or MacGyvered a little bit beyond what their intended purpose is. Pipe wrench, if you really need a pipe wrench, don't nothing else gets the job done. Pipe wrench is the thing that looks like a big F, right? It's got the, the bottom jaw and the top jaw and a screw thing, and it goes up and down. A small pipe wrench, a medium pipe wrench, and a giant pipe wrench. That's what you need if you really want to cover your bases. There's all different sizes. But if you got a little one, a medium one, and a big one, you'll cover most of your needs. Pipe wrenches are for turning pipe or anything that's pipe-like. They allow you to adjust, and as you turn in the direction that you want the wrench to go toward the opening, it clamps down and grabs. So we can turn a pipe. We can tighten a pipe into a fitting, a primary use of them. Many other things get done. When I was a kid, we used to have a one of the old-fashioned uh, television antennas outside of the house, and we didn't have one of those fancy rotor things, and there were four channels that we could get. One was PBS. I think the other were probably NBC, CBS, and ABC. It's a long time ago. I don't remember. But only so, like two of them came in in one direction. One came in another direction, and one came in another direction. And when we wanted to change, my dad would go outside with a pipe wrench and, and like just turn the pipe that held the antenna up. To, to and like he'd go, "Is it on?" Right? I mean, this is how far we've come. Right? Is it on? Yeah, it's on, but it's not. It's got some snow in it. Hold on. How's that? Yeah, that's about. It. It's starting to get bad. Go back a little bit. That's as good as it's going to get. And you come back in the house and we watch that channel. Right? So a pipe wrench, if it's if it's a pipe style thing and you need it turned, best way to get it done is with a pipe wrench. Um, pliers. And and I you can make a list as long as the rest of the list with pliers, you know, diagonal cutting pliers, needle nose pliers, offset pliers. Basically, if there's a form factor in a plier and you can afford it or find it, get it. You'll need it someday. Uh, including things like fencing pliers. Uh, and there's a lot of cheap knockoff fencing pliers at places like Tractor Supply. If you're not a professional fencer, and I don't mean to go with a sword, right, but a guy that does fencing work every day, you know, one of those cheap sets of those, they act as a as a, uh, a little pick. They act as a hammer. They act as a good heavy-duty set of pliers. I've seen them sitting in their little clearance bin for four or five bucks a pair. I have four or five pairs of them. Just at different times, I'm like, yeah, I'll add another pair of those because, you know, they're another thing that stays in every vehicle has a set of those. There's so many times where I need to tap something or whatever, I can't find a hammer, that those things will work. Um, so a set of fencing pliers is probably a good uh, good idea. If you're not sure what that is, Google fencing plier and you will see what I'm talking about. Um, files. Uh, files for anything and everything you can think of, both metal and wood. Uh, files, if I have a piece of wood and I need to take down the end grain and I don't really can't, can't really get it done with uh, with sandpaper, because uh, I need to take too much, and I'll have a power tool, like a power sander, like a, a, a rotary sander, a belt sander to do it with, And uh, but it's it's so short that if I cut it, I'm going to damage it. I take it down with a wood file. 
I'm not going to do that with a plane because since I'm going against the grain, I'll split and, and splinter the wood. But a fine grain wood file, I can take that down with. But, you know, metal files, if I need to sharpen something, you know, my axe, right? It's all nice and well to have a stone, but if it's been heavily used and I need to put a new edge on it, uh, I can do that with a file really, really quick. So files for fitting metal, for cleaning up metal, for fitting wood, for cleaning up wood, for sharpening tools, files, files, files. Sharpening stones, because once I get that axe filed, I want to get it sharp. And the reason I want to make sure files and sharpening stones are part of this regime for keeping things sharp is I have to work a lot harder with a dull tool than a sharp tool. And I'm also a lot more likely to hurt myself with a dull tool than a sharp tool. Yes, if I cut myself with a sharp knife, I'm probably going to cut deeper with sharp than dull. But I am more likely to cut myself with a dull knife because if I'm trying to do work, I'm more likely to have the knife slip, not get what, and I'm going to get frustrated. When I get frustrated, I get angry. When I get angry, I stop paying attention. Now I'm more likely to get hurt. So I uh, definitely want to have good stuff for sharpening. And then this is the one that gets left out. Lots of nails, screws, bolts, and washers, etc. You have all these tools, so maybe some surplus wood laying around. You could build anything. But all y'all are little bitty nails, and you need to put together a couple 4x4s. And they really shouldn't be nailed together. They really should be maybe drilled out and bolted together, right? Stuff like that. Here's the thing about nails, screws, bolts, washers, bearings, all that crap. Unless you keep it out in the rain, it lasts forever. It has no shelf life in a dry environment. It can be hot It can be cold as long as it's dry. It's good as gold. Yes, I made that rhyme there because it just kind of came up. But that's, but that's the truth, right? So this is something that whenever you can get a deal on it, whenever you can find stuff, whenever you, you know, whenever you buy a piece of, uh, of equipment that has to be put together and it comes with extra screws, bolts, nuts, and washers, sort those things out into bins or jars or something and keep it. Now, guys, that doesn't mean if you buy the thing and you put it together without the instructions, you end up with 50 extra bolts, it's okay. It's probably not. But there are many instances where a lot of manufacturers, they've just decided throwing in a couple extra bolts, washers, and screws will keep the customer from coming back and bitching when they lose one and claim it wasn't there. right? Or when we screw up and put one too few in. So when they cover their ass with it, take all that extra stuff, sort it out into sizes, you know. Um, if you go to garage sales and stuff like that, a lot of times you see, if you see a guy like selling a bunch of tools and stuff like that, and you look in the garage and they got a whole bunch of crap in there, and you go, you got any washers, nails, stuff like that you want to get rid of? A lot of times people will be like, yeah, I didn't think anybody would buy that. I got, because a lot of times when they're doing sales like that, they're moving or trying to get rid of crap. A lot of times, especially people that are about to, you know, uh, getting older and they, they're going to kind of get out of doing things for themselves and stuff. You know, I had one guy give me a huge bin of stuff for free. And I'm like, well, what do I owe you? Because you can have it all, or you can give me four bucks for the bin. It was like one of these things with multiple drawers in it, or give me four bucks for the bin and keep, keep all the stuff in it for free. <laughs> Here's four bucks, man. You know? Um, so you never know. Keep an eye out for sales on stuff like that screws, bolts, nuts, washers. Um, there's something that's very hard to fabricate, right? If I want to build a woodshed, right? I can make cordage or I can make pegs and pins and stuff like that, but it's a lot of work. I can cut down some, you know, two and a half inch trees and rough out timbers and I can get by with that. But nails, bolts, screws, things like that, man, and a drill, be able to drill them out, you know, a chisel to chisel some joints. That's, that's where it pays off to be prepared. 
So those are kind of the things that kind of rounds out the list. I do have some nice-to-haves and some thoughts on them for you as to why they're nice-to-have. One is a log splitter. And if you can afford a great big electric DR power splitter for $700 and you do several cords of wood or more a year, God bless you, go do it. Um, but a cheap $100 uh, hydraulic 10-ton log splitter from somewhere like Harbor Freight, we have one. God, is it great to have. And those of you like, I'll split my own wood with a mall. Great. I have a splitting mall tool, uh, too. But you know what? Swing that sucker for a few days and you get tired. What if you get hurt? What if you get injured? What if you're not there? See that little 10-ton hydraulic splitter, right? I can take my wife, and she can go out there and good seasoned wood, crack, crack. Right. Sometimes she has to push a little bit hard to get that first crack, and has to. But she, she's a you know a small frame woman, and she can do it. it ain't gonna be swinging no mall. And if we're gonna be prepared, we need to be prepared for contingencies. An electric splitter or a gas-powered splitter, I gotta have electricity or gas. A mall, I have to be in good physical shape. I know you're the big tough survivalist, buddy. I understand until you get hurt. And now you need wood split, and you can't do it because you can't swing them all right. right. The other thing to look at here, and I've been thinking about this because we've been splitting a lot of wood lately. There's a potential to injure yourself while splitting with a mall. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I actually like it, right? especially when you got good seasoned wood that's really ready to split and a good heavy-duty mule mall. Man, there's just something. Oh, Tim Taylor, more power. Yeah, right? But... If you're actually in a long-term situation, grid down, tense situation, and you're the primary, you know, big, strong, tough guy, you know, you're the strongest member of your group or your family, especially like a family unit where it's like husband, kids, wife, then at that point, while you're in this kind of dangerous situation, you have an added responsibility to safety. Something that would just, you know, kind of take you out of commission for a week or two, like a wrench shoulder, There wouldn't be that big a deal, you know, during normal times. You can't really afford that when everybody's depending on you. So that might be a time where, you know what, we're going to use the hydraulic splitter because I'm not going to get hurt. And maybe I'm not really that worried about, you know, wrenching my shoulder on a day-to-day -day basis or something like that. But imagine you're splitting and you're tired. This is something people don't get. In a true, you know, survival-style situation... A, a grid down, long term grid down situation. You're working a lot more. You're stressed a lot more. You're tired. When you get in that state, you make mistakes. And all of a sudden, something you've done a thousand times with no errors whatsoever, you come down, you hit yourself in the knee with a mule maul. Or the foot, or the ankle, or the shin. I mean, you're talking a very traumatic injury if you do it good enough. And even if it's a glancing blow, something that's very, very painful. Well, now you're the guy that's supposed to be taking care of everybody, and because you wanted to be Mr. Badass, right, you've got an injury that you shouldn't have. So, you know, you can't really get hurt unless you're stupid with a hydraulic splitter. Uh, and I think if you're burning wood and you're splitting wood, I think it's a great thing to add. Again, I love those big power ones. Those are awesome. And, they're, 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 and they don't, you know, you can take fresh green wood and throw it in there, and it's going to split. Um, you try to fresh split, uh, split a lot of times, like especially hardwoods, like a fresh green log uh, with a hydraulic splitter. It makes a big, big dent in it. 
We, we don't. We, <laughs> you can push and push and push. It just makes a big old dent, and it won't go. Um, but you know, the hydraulic thing always works. It's safe. Uh, it's dependable, it's reliable, and I could think of some other things that you might end up doing with that type of hydraulic force if you, you know, maybe rig something up there. Which brings me to my next thing, a shop press. Just an, I don't mean a big, giant, super-powered electric press. I'm talking about something with a, you know, a 10- or 20-ton jack in it that allows you to do press-related work, things like bending metal, fabricating things. Uh, if you're maintaining vehicles to push bearings out of a vehicle wheel, that's probably the biggest thing that they get used for in a lot of mechanical shops. But a press, and there's some pretty affordable ones out there. They're rather large. They take up a lot of space, and they weigh a lot, which means if you're not going to use it and you have limited space, it's probably not a good idea. But if you have a group of guys, and one guy has a big space, there wouldn't be anything wrong, in my view, with maybe four or five guys going in on a really good high-quality press keeping it at the guy that has a space for its area with an agreement. Hey, if I ever move away and I'm not going to be back here to use it anymore, you guys buy me out, you know, or find another press partner. And they're still not that expensive for this type of a tool because if you need it to do bearings or whatever when you're, when you're working on your vehicle, you take your, your, your stuff over there, pop them out, and come back. And they'll pay for themselves versus having a mechanic do it if you can do that level of work. But bending metal and a lot of other things. I can see and I have seen people take shop presses rig some stuff up, and end up using a shop press to do something like squeeze uh, apple pulp or squeeze grapes or squeeze something else, right? So back to more conventional homestead use, so multi-use tool. And I've seen people do that on YouTube. That's kind of cool. A scythe. I think a scythe is a great tool. I mentioned in the beginning, though, if you live in a, a tenth of an acre lot in the suburbs, may not be that good a tool. Uh, maybe not, not that necessary. But if you live in, like, think, think about this. If you're kind of an urban homesteader, right, and uh, but you live in a place where you can, you can have livestock, you have stuff like goats and all, and you can find access to a field that would be good to cut natural hay out of, where you can go out and cut long grass and make hay, you, you could probably by hand make enough feed for your goats with just access permission from a landowner that's really not going to care that you cut weeds down. Get permission first. In a long-term scenario, I can see that type of thing being done in highway dividers, uh, in, in, in fallow land, all over the place. So maybe. But for a homesteader with an acre or more, uh, a scythe is a really great tool, especially if you're doing small-scale grain production. Uh, but with that said, usually what you, this is what you want to do. Like If you're, you're hand-harvesting wheat, remember I talked about that serrated sickle? What you'd actually want to do is go through and cut your grain heads with relatively short stalks with the sickle because you don't bang it so the grain doesn't fall out of the head. Then you make up your sheaths and process your grain. Then you come back through and take the stubble out with a scythe and you use that for your straw. Right. So a scythe is a very good multipurpose tool and I think it's what it goes into nice to have. And then I'm going to give you, so I just went to an ancient tool like a scythe. I'm going to go to a very modern tool that most people don't own. And it's such a great tool to have. A shop vac. Yep, a shop vac. Being able to do things like at the end of each winter when you've, you've, you've emptied out the, uh, the fireplace over and over again, go through there and give it a real good thorough cleaning with a shop vac. Uh, when you make a big mess in your, you know, your garage or your, your workshop or whatever, be able to clean up sawdust and things like that. You know, and what a great way, if you're doing a lot of woodworking, you have tons of sawdust, 
just only vacuum sawdust with it and just take that sawdust straight out to your compost file, pile or your mulch pile or what have you. Great way to harvest uh, residual stuff as well. And I know, if the grid's down, the shop back won't work. But tomorrow morning when you wake up, you'll probably have power. And probably most of the things you'll be doing through the year, and this is where we get ridiculous as preppers. Everything has to be if the grid's down. And that's foolish because we're only preparing for failure then. So if you have all the tools I talked about today, you can deal with the grid down, and you can make really good progress while the grid's up. And many of these tools even work really well with backup power sources, generators, battery packs, things like that as well. So that, you know, if the grid's down, maybe I'm not going to just go out and do everything with a power tool, but the most time-consuming, labor-intensive things make smart, efficient use of whatever power, backup power I have available. And, and the labor-saving nature of power tools and chainsaws and things like that should never be overlooked. The people that think we're going back to, you know, 1870, Paul, Little House on the Prairie, everything being that way and having no power ever again, you're watching too much revolution. You really are, and even they have a little magic pendants, whatever the hell those things are. Right. Uh, while I'm at this, as I'm at the end today, does it bother anybody else that when you watch a show like Revolution, like the girl that's like the main girl character in it, right? That she has like like glossy lipstick on? Does that bother you? It bothers me. Right? They're supposed to be what ten years after a complete collapse. There's been no power, no electricity for ten years, and she's got glossy red lip gloss on. And her hair is all nice and soft and curly and perfectly styled. And that uh, Hispanic chick that's got the low-cut uh, blouse that's actually, you know, still looks like it's in really great shape, even though that, I know I'm digressing here, but th doesn't it bother you when you watch these shows like this and people, like, and the dude, the, the uncle, right, that's got the freaking hairstyle where he could be on the cover of GQ, Come on, J.J. Uh, Abrams and network producers. If you want to sell us on an apocalypse, make these people look a little bit more rough. Sorry for the digression there, guys. But hopefully this was a good show for you guys. I, I really wanted to do this because there's been so many people asking, but I realized they could come across just like a list. So hopefully everybody got some things out of it, at least a little bit of maybe some special note, you know, uh, little educational segments along the way. Um, if you have any questions about this episode, please ask me. I'll be happy to answer them in the comments section for you like I always do. But I have a feeling, Dave, maybe there's some additional ones. If you have tools that you would add to the list, um, as long as you're not like, you're such a stupid ass, I can't believe you didn't, you know, that I'm going to delete. But, yeah, the list, as I said, I added to it as I went. There's plenty of things in my shop that I, I didn't mention today. Please go ahead, add them. I think this would be a great thing. And I think this is also a great jumping-off episode for the 13 and 13 Skills Challenge. Right, 13 new skills in 2013. We're going to have that side up, I think, maybe by the end of this week. Uh, and that'll be great. And I think that there's all of these tools have things that can be done with them. So I think it's a great jumping-off point for discussion on that as well. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. 
Revolution is you. Revolution.